And I think part of the challenge that we have as people, and, and as people, you know, we really <clears throat> we do love knowledge and we love to acquire knowledge. And sometimes, you know, we think when we've heard something or studied something for a long period of time, we actually can think we actually understand it and we have it um, when we cannot really have it at all or the depth of what God's trying to say. And, you know, um, I say you can speak on certain things for a while and, yeah, yeah, let's just move on, let's move forward. You know, I've heard that, but the reality is and whatever the truth is that we're contending for, unless truth is changing you, Unless truth is on the inside of us and it's forming us, we really are outside of the fullness of the truth of what he's trying to do because God's truth is to form you. That's the whole point behind revelation. It's, there's one thing to know something. There's one thing to have it revealed. And that's why Paul was praying for the Ephesian church. I pray that the spirit of revelation and wisdom would come upon you, would peel it back so that you would have a greater knowledge of him. Because the knowledge of him is the center of our relationship with him. Does that make sense? And, um, and so we need, to, we need to, one, we need to understand that. We need to be comfortable with that. And we need to move forward in that. That God wants to form himself in you. You know, we heard last week about hope. We are to speak hope, but we are to be hope. Because really... This can be empty if it's not modeled, can't it? We see that within our people. People say, oh, you Christians, you speak a good speak, but you don't live it. That's why Jesus Christ isn't the most world leader. I think it's Gandhi and some other guys. He's about third on the list. Because the feel is, you know, Christians speak, but they don't follow their, their father's teachings. And so that we have to contend with this as his people, that on the revelation of the Son... You and I are built because we are the church. And I want to encourage us with that to continue to be what you're listening to, what you're hearing. Say, Jesus, bring the revelation of what's been speaking to my heart. Peel it back that I may come into a reality where it's not here so much, but it's here and it's coming from me now. It creates life. That's why Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. They birth life. You have the joy and this peace and this patience and gentleness and kindness and love and mercy. And you're becoming the light of the world. You're becoming the reality of what's already within you. But walking in it so it becomes a reality. Because we're being transformed, as we've talked about, into his image. The whole purpose of this faith is being transformed into the image of the one we follow. And this morning, I want to continue down this pathway of the bride part seven. Intimacy and obedience are the keys to our inheritance. And two weeks ago, if, you, this, if you're here for the first time, we're talking about this whole concept of the bride of Christ and the ultimate purpose of God for his creation, which is you and me. And so we started two weeks ago talking around, well, we've been speaking for weeks on this, but um, another message, I was talking about the kingdom of heaven and unpacking that. The week before that, we were talking about what is the outer darkness, and I was um, putting that before you, and I know that created some interesting conversations for people, and we're on this journey. So I want to continue down this parable of unpacking this parable, which is a story. So it's a story that there's a truth behind the story that we need to see. And so come with me to Matthew 25, 1 to 13, because... That's where we're going to be basing it on. But intimacy and obedience are the keys to our inheritance. Intimacy with and obedience to the Father now. Let me say that now will not only determine who we are becoming, who we are becoming, and the impact it will have on our lives now, but it will also determine our future inheritance and the roles that we will or will not play in that future inheritance. Okay, so our obedience, our, our obedience or intimacy now and our obedience now determine a lot now, don't they? As well as in the future. And so Matthew 25, 1 to 13. I'll read this pretty quickly and then we're going to pull it apart. I'm going to give you six 
major themes that, that I believe God's trying to communicate to us in this to help us see. So parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. And we've unpacked that in other passages of scriptures. The bride is making herself ready. They were ready. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Now, what's fascinating, I want to read you this word that I received three weeks ago before it even preached. Now, we're starting this bride series, but I hadn't preached this message, and this, this came to me through someone. The Lord wants to equip his church for a difficult and dark time ahead. He wants to pair himself, up, so pour himself into us, be open to him and what he wants to do in your life, both in the services and in your own time with him during the weeks ahead. The days are short, the hour is urgent. Drink in what he has for you. Don't be concerned for those around you and what they may think. This is not your concern. Look to the Lord with your whole being and embrace what he gives you. Be like the wise virgins who stored up extra oil while they waited for the bridegroom. Write down what he has done in your life today and at this time so that it becomes a deposit for you to draw on later when life is difficult. Do not take lightly what the Lord gives you. These things are not trinkets, objects to be displayed upon the wall or in a cabinet like a trophy. They are weapons for you to use to establish the victory in your life and in the lives of others. Don't be mesmerized by the, by the gifts, but let the gifts point you to the giver. The gifts only retain their true power and purpose when we are in right relationship to him. Praise him, praise him. Let all the people praise him. Let the whole earth praise him. God's speaking. And what Deb said before, to us. Not just to certain people, but to us. And I want to encourage you with that. I hope it does encourage you. So once again, I'm going to reiterate some things so we can get this into us, you know, because you hear it once. It's like, what would he say? And so I'm just going to keep reiterating, giving you some old stuff. Well, it's new stuff, but giving you new stuff as well. So hopefully my prayer is the picture is being painted as we're dialoguing with this, with this stuff. So what is a parable? Once again, it is simply a truth told in a story form to help to explain a previously taught truth. And a parable makes one central point. Okay, so it's a story that's told to bring a greater truth, and it makes one central point. Okay, so what are the major themes that I want to give you in this passage, this parable of Scripture? Number one, Jesus says in verse one, the kingdom of heaven is comparable to the story of the ten virgins. So Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to this story about ten virgins. Okay, so we need to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. Because once again, as I said a few weeks ago, Bible is not talking, Jesus is not talking specifically about the geographical place heaven. He's not talking about that. He's talking about wherever Jesus' lordship, his rulership, his authority, his dominion is to rule over. 
That's where the kingdom is, because the word is basilia, the ability to rule over. In other words, it's the authority of one realm to rule over the other. That's where you see the kingdom of heaven being. Okay? So it starts in your heart, and then it moves forward. That's what he's talking about here when he says, I'm comparing that with these ten virgins. Let me give you an example of that. How many people here have gone out and bought something on high purchase? I have. It's okay, we're not, you know. It's not a trick question. Now, um, what happens if you go out and buy something on high purchase and you can't afford to pay it back over time? You may start being able to meet the payments, but then all of a sudden, whatever reasons, you can't meet the payments. There is a knock at the door, isn't there? By maybe one man or two people called bailiffs. And they have an authority to come into your house and take your, well, my 52-inch high-definition plasma screen that I bought when I was spirit-led, by the way, um, <laughs> to watch the World Cup soccer. Jesus, Jesus is into soccer. And uh, just the wrong team lost, that's all. But anyway, um, so this bailiff would come into my house because I haven't paid the payments and he has an authority to grab hold of my 52-inch high-definition plasma screen and take it out of my house. He has the ability to rule over me in this area. It's like that. When one authority comes and rules over the other. Another story, I think one of my best mates, this is years ago, they were looking for a flatmate. And this guy answered the, the ad in, in the paper. And they, they just thought they'd, you know, they thought they'd won the lottery. This guy was incredible. He was a lawyer. He, he had all this money. He had all this gear. I mean, they were like hardly you know, a student, so they didn't really have a lot. This guy moved in. He had leather couches, all, all the works back in the, uh, in the early 90s. And they thought, this was amazing. This is awesome. Uh, until about uh, two weeks later when they're watching TV and he's out and up comes Crime Watch. And there's their flatmate on the telly. <laughs> and they're all going, this is interesting. And this man is a fraud. And he is, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a very clever guy. He, he actually was not a lawyer, but he actually had certificates to say he was a lawyer. And he was smart enough to be able to be in a number of different environments. He'd been doctor. He'd been this. He'd been that. He'd been everything. And they're sitting there going, what do we do? And then about midnight that night, there's a knock at their door. In fact, there's a few knocks at the door, and all of a sudden, the SWAT team boom into the, boom into the flat looking for this guy, and they're all out of bed. You imagine that, 10, 12 police and gear come through looking for this guy. The ability to rule over the police had the ability to bust down the door and start looking in that house for that man. That's what the kingdom is, the ability of one to rule over another realm. Number two, okay, so that's the first thought. The kingdom of heaven is comparable to the story of the ten virgins. The second theme of this passage, all ten of these women are virgins. Okay, so the word virgin, what does that mean? It means unmarried, undefiled, clean, chaste, and pure. When you and I, and we've talked about this as well, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive what Isaiah says is a garment of salvation, which basically makes us like these virgins. The blood of Christ comes and washes over us, making us pure. The blood of Christ, the Bible uses the words justified, just as if we had never sinned, although we continue to sin. Our goal is not to, but we continue to. His blood washes over us just as if I'd never done it. I've received that, which makes me a virgin. You with me so far? Okay. So these 10 virgins are all followers of Christ. They've received this garment and they're wearing it. So they're all followers of Christ. The third theme of this passage, all 10 virgins, they went out to meet the bridegroom. So they're all starting the same journey. Maybe at different times, maybe at different places. We don't know. But in this story, we see these 10 virgins and they're starting on the same journey. They knew about the return of the bridegroom. So their journey is 
washed in the blood, moving towards this return of a bridegroom. And they all know about that, but we see they become drowsy and they begin to sleep. Interesting. You see, we all know that Christ is coming back, don't we? We all have the intellectual knowledge of that, that Jesus is going to return. He's coming back for his church. He's coming to establish his rulership on the earth. And the revelation of that, the knowledge of that, if that is living within us, is to inspire us to live a life that is sold out for him. One of the motivating factors. Not the only. The love of Christ will motivate you to change your whole life. So there are, God gives us different truths. He paints pictures to help us not become drowsy, not fall asleep. Live a life following him, committed to him, devoted to him, choosing his will. And so we see this picture of these, these women, but they become drowsy. They, they, they sleep. Why? Why? Yeah, come complacent. Maybe a, what do you say? Resting? He's late. <laughs> if you know the timing on that, I want to talk with you. <laughs> Maybe they've lost hope. Impatience. It's fascinating, isn't it? See, what we see is maybe, maybe they have, maybe, maybe other priorities got in the way. Other things that were more important than him got in the way. Pass, pass, I can't say that word. I've tried 15 times to try and say it. Passivity. <laughs> Thank you. I've practiced that 15 times to get it right, and I messed it up. <laughs> so we need one another. Walk with me. But you see, what happens is at the end of verse 11 and 12, we see five miss out on something. Five actually come, and we can't come in. Hmm. Knowing Jesus is returning is to be a motivating factor to living our lives in a purposeful pursuit of the Father, fulfilling the will of the Father instead of our own will. Because Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, it's those who do the will of my Father who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus isn't talking about the geographical place heaven, but wherever his authority is to rule over another authority or realm. That's now and when he returns. Revelation 19.6 says Jesus will reign on the earth for a thousand years. What did Jesus say to his disciples? First time he meets Peter, what did he say? Come, follow me. Because I am going to make you. That's a process. That's not a one-off event. That's a process. Are you going to come and follow me? And as you follow me, I'm going to make you into fishes of men. I'm going to make you into my image. I'm going to make you to look like me. This journey is going to last a lifetime. And I'm going to show you incredible things. You're going to become incredible things. This thing is going to be at times hard. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to come under the radar of a whole lot of things. But will you come follow me? Where are we going, Jesus? We're going to discover the Father. We're going on a journey. I'm going to take you on a journey that you're going to understand my Father. Because the Bible says in Matthew, it says that the Son is the only one who knows the Father, and the Father is the only one who knows the Son, but to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. And you have this picture in John as well, where Jesus is talking with Philip. And Jesus says to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And what does Philip say? 
I mean, this is, this is, this is the X Factor blooper. <laughs> Philip says, show us the Father. You'd be like, okay, he, he, he didn't hear me. There must have been a lot of music going on and Davey was doing his yelling and singing and playing his guitar. And it's awesome having you guys back, by the way, from your honeymoon. And um, so maybe he says it again. No, 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 Philip, you didn't get it. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. Philip again. Jesus, show us the father. <laughs> I know we're a bit slow here. <laughs> See, he didn't have a revelation of what Jesus was saying. I want to take you on a journey. You know our whole pur- our vision? It's our purpose. It's not a pithy statement. It's our purpose knowing him. If you know him, you will love others. If you love it, you will walk together. It's a natural, organic lifestyle of a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to say to us, come follow me because I want to introduce you to my father. Because the only way to know the father is to receive a revelation from above, not spirit and flesh from above. And the more you know him, the more you'll know his plans. The more you know him, the more you'll know your inheritance. The more you know him, the more you'll walk in accuracy. The more you know him, the more you'll love. The more you'll have grace. The more you'll have mercy. mercy the more authority, the more identity. The more you'll be complete. Because it's a revelation of him. It's a beautiful thing. I can't believe I've been invited to know the father. The ultimate father. I had an amazing earthly father, but I've been invited to know the father, the one that speaks creation into being, the one that created me from dust, the one that took a woman out of the ribcage of man, the one who creates the galaxies, the stars, the heavens, that I could know you and sit at your feet and be a part in what you have for me. Not that I would just be saved, justified, but that I would come into the fullness of what it means to be your son. And then the purposes that you have for me to do here on earth, being led by your voice, not my own voice, not what I think be done, but what the Father says to be done. Jesus said, I can do nothing in my own initiative. Nothing. In my own initiative. Wow. We're going to look at that as we go on. So I have a question for us. Who can remember what the one central point of the parable of the wedding feast from Matthew 22 was? Anybody remember what the one central point was? Be prepared. Put it up there, Mike. Let's read this together. Read it out. Read it out loud. I'm not going to read it. You read it. Listen to the words of two Timothy four seven to eight from Paul. He says, "I fought the good fight. It's a fight. We talked about before. It's a fight." You're in a war. We have an enemy who wants to take you out. He wants to knock you off your inheritance. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy your inheritance. He can't mess with the cross. He can mess with your inheritance. So we're in a war. And Paul says, I'm fighting a good fight. Not from a physical one, a spiritual one. Now, sure, he was persecuted. He had physical persecution. But his battle is in the spiritual realm. And I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by this man. When you read his letters, the fact that he's put in jail, he's been beaten five times, you know, whipped, whipped five, 39 times, five times. Christ got it once. And he's thrown in prison with Silas. And what does he do? Does he whinge and moan? No, he starts singing hymns. What sort of culture is within him? What sort of kingdom culture lives within this man? Because I would have been weeping like a big baby going, get me out of here, God. And he's like going, let's sing. Let's praise the Lord. And what happens? All the other guys in there that are having a bit of a pity party turn around and go, what's going on? 
And then all of a sudden, all the, all the gates unlock and the kingdom comes and the power comes. Why? Because he chose something. But see, there was a kingdom culture within him. He couldn't act like that if it wasn't being birthed over time. He's allowing this process. And he says this, he's, I'm fighting a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Now listen, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But here's the good news. And not only to me. Not just about me. Not only to me, he says, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's something, guys, we need to catch about the revelation of the return, which will inspire your life here to sing songs and praise him when you're afflicted. When life sucks and it hurts and things aren't going like you thought they were going to. Praise him. Lift it up. And there's something about capturing the revelation of the future, which will empower your now. That's why we have to go after the now, sorry, now and the future. And hold the two in tension. People say, I'm not interested in rewards. You just don't know the Father yet. Enough. That's the truth. I'm sorry if that hurts. It's, it's a lie. You're, living, you're believing a lie. Okay? It's about love. Everything's motivated by love. But the Father has rewards. He's a loving Father. I have rewards for my kids. It's not given from any motivation apart from love. Agape love. The Bible speaks of it throughout the whole entire book. So we've got to get comfortable that there is more for those who will choose to live a life of what? Faithfulness, obedience, persevering, enduring to the end. You'll fight the good fight. Don't give up. You won't lose your salvation, but you can lose your inheritance. And that's what Paul's saying. Seek me. If you don't have it today, a revelation of his return, ask him. It's okay. It's okay not to. Just don't sit there and be content with that. Be discontently contented. I want more. It speaks about more. I don't understand half the stuff. Show me. Because the more empowers the now. And it becomes life. Life, my Jesus and my words, are life and spirit. They change you. And you become like me. The fourth theme of this passage, five virgins were prudent or wise and five were foolish. So the word prudent means being mindful of one's interest, not your own, one's, someone else's interest. It's being mindful of one's interest. So whose interest are we being mindful of, our own or God's? Another way of putting it is being single-minded to God and His will. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty-one: Those who do the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the will of the Father? Well, we've been talking about all that. What is the will of the Father? It starts at loving Him. It starts at loving others. And then going out into a world and making disciples. How do I fit into his plan? Not my plan. I'm not chasing signs and wonders. I'm chasing him and his will for my life, which is already laid out. So how do I, as a unique individual with giftings, as a unique individual, fit into loving you, loving others, and making disciples? As an accountant, how do I do that? As a senior leader of a community, I'm not, how do I do that? As a football player, sports player, whatever you are, how do you figure out how you do the will of the Father? Because my will is His will. The desires of my heart are His desires put in there through a revelation. So the will of the Father, God, what is your will? Show me your will. Show me the purpose for the church that was created before the foundations of the earth. Before man ever sinned, God had his plan. Show me that in full color. Help me to see it in the eyes of my heart. Help me to, to seek it. What did God say? If you 
ask me, your Father, how much more will I give my Spirit to you? We are to walk in the Spirit, aren't we? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, how do you walk in the Spirit? God's given it as a deposit. Increase the measure. That's why last week was so important. Believing for a baptism in the Spirit, more of the Spirit, supernaturally, not through man's agenda or man's works or anything we can do, but just sitting and petitioning and asking for more of you. But you see five foolish ones living their life, doing their own thing, walking along. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm doing this thing. It's really cool doing this thing. We're doing this thing. What are they going on? Oh, no, no, God, God's over there somewhere. He's all cool. You know, no, no, I'm living for me, you know. And there are these five prudent or wise ones. And they had this thing called extra oil. The opposite of being single-minded is double-minded. And James teaches us that the Bible, in the, Bible, in the book of James, a double-minded man receives nothing. A double-minded man is tossed to and fro. He is taken up by the weather and the waves and what's happening around the, the financial crisis. Oh my goodness, you know, what's going to happen? I'm losing it. My job goes. Someone's left me. This happens. That happens. All those things. There's enough of them, aren't there? One's enough to blow you over. A single-minded man built on the Christ, on the revelation of the Son, moving towards the Father. Power being established, authority, identity. When the winds come, they stand strong. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's who we are to become. That's what lives within you and I, but we need to walk and understand and come into the fullness of it. Because there are winds coming. It's starting. I don't know how long it is. I don't really care. It's not about that. All that is to do with the return of my king. I don't want to get freaking out about whether this is going to happen or that's going to happen or all these things. It's about the return of my king. And if I get that, I'm empowered to walk through this time. If the church goes through it. I've got my own personal views on that, but we're not, we're not going to go there. The fifth theme of this passage Five virgins have enough oil to maintain their lanterns being bright, while five run out of oil and their lanterns are going out. Okay, what on earth is this all about? You can see through Scripture that oil was used for medicinal purposes. But it's also very symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So oil throughout Scripture is used for medicinal purposes and it's also very symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So what's fascinating about this story that is comparable to the kingdom of heaven okay, is they all started out with oil. So they all started their journey with oil. They all had their light, their lanterns were lit. They're walking along. We've got the light. But then we see they become drowsy and they fall asleep, and we see that some, five, when they wake up, when they hear the call go out, they don't have extra oil, but five do. And so those other five, they put their oil into their lanterns, and they can keep walking, and these other five start saying, well, you know, what's going on? Give us some of your oil. Hey, man, give us some of your oil. Our, our lights are going out. We, we see yours, but ours are going down. What's going on? Can we have some of yours? And what do the other five say? No. No, you can't have some of our oil. Interesting, eh? I want to suggest to us today that this part of the passage right here means that the five who brought extra oil for their journey continue to live their lives being led by the Holy Spirit, having an intimate relationship with the Father, being able to hear His voice and then obey His voice through taking steps of faith, fulfilling His will and not their own. In other words, they were running their race well and fighting the good fight. 
Listen to what Jesus said, and I read out before. Jesus said in John 5, verse 30, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm going to check one thing that I didn't miss anything out. Yeah. I can do nothing from my own initiative. As I hear from the Father, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because I've heard it from the Father. It's been downloaded from the Father. Not just, oh, well, I think this is what we're supposed to do. No, no. I'm intimate. I can hear. I then obey. And it's not about my own will, but it's about the will of him who sent me. Right here, I believe, is what the Bible is describing as spirit-led and doing spirit-led works or the righteous acts of the saints, which is our fine linen garment that we've discussed. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, to not quench the spirit in our lives. How do you quench the spirit in your life? By making your own choices, living your own will instead of the Father's. It's where your will will be done, not His. I believe you can quench the Spirit. It's there the whole time. But Jesus said, you know, those who come to me from the innermost being will flow a river. There'll be a river of the Spirit that flows. When you're walking in me, you're walking in a river. It's an overflow. And sure, we can come to him and get more of that, but I genuinely have conviction that God wants us living in the overflow zone. Not enough. We've got to have enough for others, not enough for ourselves. We should be overflowing onto others. It's just this wellspring of life. Joy. Joyous. I mean... God was still in the five foolish virgins' hearts. He just wasn't directing their lives. Now, you might say like I did. When I first read some of this stuff, and this has been part of my journey, I went, man, they're pretty mean, aren't they? I'm a bit stingy, those five wise ones. You know, I I thought we were Christian. (laughs) I thought the Christian thing to do would be to Serve others and lay your life down and give some of your oil, you stingy virgin. (laughs) But then I'm just sitting with him. He says this. He says, you can't give anyone else your own revelation, son. You can't give what you've walked through and the shoes you've walked in. Someone else can't give their revelation. You might want to. You know, how many people want their, so passionately, you know, you want your, your loved ones saved, but you can't give them your repentance. You can't give them what you've been through, can you? They can receive it, but they have to choose to walk in it. You can't, they couldn't give their oil. Physically, they just couldn't because it's the spirit. You know what it's cost me to, to, to be at this point? Are you prepared to go through Everything I've been through to arrive at this point. Because it's not given away cheaply. It's not just given away like a smorgasbord. Oh, here you go. Who wants this? No, it's a pursuit of the Father. It's an internal transformation. The kingdom of heaven is where first? Within you. It's a whole transformation of a person. You can't give that away. Only the Father can give that through the spirit of revelation. People have to receive their own revelation by seeking the Father for themselves and allowing themselves to be built by Jesus Christ. We see the five virgins telling the foolish ones they must go and buy their own oil. When we buy something or purchase something, there is a cost involved. There is an exchange that happens, isn't there? This cost my mother $60. 
for my Christmas present. There was an exchange of her hard work, her labours, to be able to go into a store and get me quite a smart-looking vest, I think, but, <laughs> and hand over her hard work in exchange for a vest. I received the waistcoat because of her hard work. It cost her something. If I want to receive more from the Father and come into a greater understanding of His ways and be led by His Spirit, then there is a cost involved. I must be prepared to live by faith and not facts or sometimes what my feelings might be saying to me. I must be prepared to die to what I want and be prepared to live for what He wants. I have to be prepared to be broken down in areas of my thinking and have them transformed by the renewing of my mind through the Spirit. I have to be prepared to engage with God when things don't go the way that I think they should instead of running from Him. Now listen to Revelation 3.18 because this is so pertinent. He uses the same words. The virgin said, go and buy oil. What does Jesus say to us in Revelation 3.18 to the church of Laodicea? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined through a fire. You know what? You don't get the gold unless you go through the fire. What's the fire? It can be anything. Absolutely anything. Are we prepared to walk by intimacy, loving the Father, knowing the Father, obeying the Father, no matter what it looks like. And if we do, and for those who do, there is gold in those hills. What's the gold? It's a revelation of Him. He's the gold. You come to understand what it's about, a revelation of the Son. As you, you know why? You know why this happens? Because your heart screams so loud, it activates heaven because of the pain sometimes. The frustration is so great. The pain, when my first marriage broke up, the pain of that. It was dumb decisions that took me there, but I screamed to him in a volume that activated heaven, and bang, something came. That's why you don't run away from stuff. Run into it with him beside you, because you know what? There's intimacy that you, you can get, but I struggle to get when things are going well. There is gold. Buy from me. Purchase it. It's going to cost you something. But you know what? It is worth it. The cost, it's not a a bad cost. It's a good cost. Everything he has for you and me is incredible. Unconditional love gets you in. But conditional obedience will give you your inheritance. And we don't really like that. But it's the truth. Agape love gets you in. His love never alters. But it's conditional upon our obedience as to whether he will give you what he wants to give you in the fullness of what he has for us. And we are no different, are we? Who's going to give? I'll give you an example, me and Madeline. I love her with more than I love myself, with his love in me. And I want the very best for her. I want to see her grow up and flourish. And one day she's going to come and she's going to say, Dad, she's not getting the man till she's 40. I told her that. <laughs> and by that time, Jesus is back. So. That's the inner word, by the way. Just. She's going to come. And she's going to say, Dad, time for the keys. Can I drive the car? And she's seen me drive it lately. She won't want to be driving my car. And I'm going to go, honey, let's have a look. Are you responsible for what I want to give you? Have I seen you mature and grow up into a young lady that I know I can give these keys to and know you're not going to kill yourself Never mind others. Have I seen that, Maddie? My love doesn't alter for her, whether it's a yes or a no, does it? 
My love is the same. My love hopefully motivates and empowers and inspires and encourages to become this girl, this young woman that I wanted to become. But there's no way I'm giving her the authority, the keys to unlock a vehicle that is a tool to kill herself and others if I haven't seen responsibility given. He wants to give us roles and responsibilities in a future kingdom that will blow our minds thinking mind. And he wants to give it. It's written down. He wants to give it to us. But you know what? He ain't going to give it to an immature person. Because you destroy yourself. He's looking now going, who's doing it? Who's intimacy? Who, sorry, who's in intimacy? Who loves me? Who's living for my will? Who can hear my voice and obey my voice? Who's obeying my voice by faith now and stepping out and seeing my kingdom come in their own lives and others? And for those that do, for much is given. I've given you much. I'm going to trust you with much. I'm going to give you something little. It's going to be much in the future. I said more than I was going to say there. (laughs) But how loving would it be of me to give my 17-year-old, 18-year-old daughter the keys to a weapon, and let her go, go. And he'll kill some of your kids, or you, or herself. Loving father wouldn't do it, would he? Until she's ready. There's that word again. Jesus is talking to the church. You and I, not the world in Revelation 3.18. He's talking to you and me. And for some of us, he's knocking on the door of your heart. He's outside. His spirit lives within you because you've made a decision to follow him. But he's not really directing your life. He's not really leading your life. You're leading it and you're leading it quite well. And you're happy with that. It's not the way it's supposed to be though. The Bible says he knocks on the door of the church's heart and he says, would you let me in and allow me to be the Lord of it? And you know what? You can do it today. The Bible uses the word repent. All you've got to do is repent and come back and turn and say, today's the day you're going to be Lord of my life. I've been in control for 20 years, God. Maybe you've done a good job of it. Maybe you've done a stinking job of it. But today could be the day that you repent. If you look through Revelation 2 and 3, it says, repent, repent, repent. Turn back to me. You have moved away from me. I'm not just talking about, you know, oh, I'm looking at this on the internet or I've got a problem with booze. I mean, that's dealt with. He came and forgave the sin. It's the iniquity of man that causes the sin that's the problem. The iniquity is the blindness. The iniquity is wanting to be in control. The iniquity is wanting my, 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 my will to be done. I, I, I. That needs to die. He says, repent, turn to me. And if you will turn to me, my people, you know what? I come and I fill you with more and I fill you with more. The reason the apostles got such a baptism in the Holy Spirit because they were spending 10 days beforehand repenting repenting on their face. God, come, we repent. Fill us, we turn to you. If Israel, that's the mistake they made. They weren't turning to him. They were trying to walk away, do their own thing. And to be honest, part of the church is no different. But I don't want you to be. I don't want to be. I want the rock to be known for a community that is submitted to the Father. And as we submit to the Father and His will, we get brighter, brighter, brighter. And the lost world looks and goes, I want what they have. You don't want me. You want the God in me. Do we want that as a community? If we will, we will commit to coming to know Him, love others, walking together. It's not a statement. It's a lifestyle. And Jesus is screaming it through this incredible manual. It's everywhere. And we're going to look and we see these five foolish virgins. They don't enter in. I just, we're just going to take two seconds and
no, it's going to be a minute. And if you want to get right with him today, just ask him, just say, Father, forgive me for controlling my life. I repent today. However you want to word it, come afresh and show me you. Just however you want to word it. It's not about the words, it's about your heart. fly through this bit and it's done just walk with them when you leave here walk with them spend time with them the last thing in this passage is five foolish virgins weren't allowed into the wedding feast because they didn't know the Lord while the five wise ones were the problem is an intimacy one the word know is the word I don't know if I pronounce this right oida it's o-i-d-a which means how's it there you go, oida, see, help me walk this thing out, which means to know him intimately, to see or to perceive, God is saying here to the five virgins, I don't know you intimately, we don't have a close relationship, you have done things your own way and in your own strength, you were not a partaker or sharer of my life or my power, my love, you partook in it, my sufferings, you accepted what I did for you on the cross, but we never developed that relationship even though I was waiting every day too. I'm going to read you Luke 14 real quick. It says, discipleship tested. These are the words of Jesus, and we have to contend with this. Okay? Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. What's he saying? Get divorced? Leave your kids behind? Give all your house and your money away? No. He's saying, what has top priority in your heart? And anything that is above me shouldn't be. And I want to be the number one. If you would seek first my righteousness and my kingdom, I will add those things. But while my people continue to seek first their wives, their husbands, their children, their sport, their money, their careers, even their own lives, you are not worthy of me. But your blood makes me worthy. Absolutely. It's a reward issue. It's not a salvation issue. What I said before, he has things. He's looking. Who am I going to trust with what I have for them in the future? Who's doing it now? Intimacy with the Father is the key to this journey with God, loving Him with everything we are, being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and being obedient and faithful to do the things He leads us into, not our own things, preserving to the, enduring to the end. What did Jesus say He would be looking for when He returns to earth? Pardon? Well, that faith. Will I find faith when I come back? Faith for what? 
You can't receive what you're not prepared to walk into. And we've done a brilliant job as the church of preaching the unconditional agape love of God. What we haven't done that great of is preaching the other side of the picture, which you could call the fear of God or the discipline aspect of God, the reality that, you know what? Yep, God loves me. We sing about, oh, how he loves us. I reckon you say, oh, how he disciplines us. That wouldn't fly too well, would it? Not too many people would buy that song. But it's the truth. And you need to walk, and I need to walk in the compassion of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and bring those two things in the middle, and I'm accurate. And of those that will, there will be a reward, a crown of righteousness. How many think I'm going nuts? Right. I've really got to move. Have a listen to this. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Salvation is a gift. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. There's some bombs in this passage. They, do, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imper- but, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body. What does the Bible say we are to overcome? Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. The pride of... Well, that sounds like our bodies, doesn't it? This man saved, does he not? I hope so. <laughs> we preach a lot of his stuff. And I make it my slave. I make my will my slave. We're sons, aren't we? I'm disciplining. I'm living this life of intention, purpose, built on love, intimacy, obedience, faith, overcoming, enduring, persevering to the end. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. From what? If you're going to tell me Paul wasn't saved, we'd have an interesting discussion. I don't know about Paul Costello, but... <laughs> Love you, buddy. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to, I'm going to say one last. I'm going to give you the one central point I believe that God wants us to understand from the parable of the virgins. But what I do want you to do, go and read 1 Corinthians 10 from 1 to 14. And it says, avoid Israel's mistakes. Don't think because the Old Testament is the Old Testament, it doesn't apply to us today. It is one book. Okay, the one central point that God wants us to understand behind this parable of the ten virgins is that we are to watch, be ready, and be living our lives being led by the Spirit, being submitted and devoted to His will and purposes, enduring and overcoming to the end if we want to receive and be part of everything He has for us, not only now, but in the future. The end. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you are speaking, you are screaming to your church. Father, we love you. And God, I pray today, Lord, that we would contend for what we're hearing. Father, we would go after it in the spirit. Lord, when we're intimate, we can hear. Father, intimacy is the key to hearing from you. Faith comes from hearing. Father, it's in the, in the moments of just the, the intenseness of your presence that you reveal things through your word and through your spirit to us. And Father, we need to check everything from our spirit back to the word. But Lord God, I pray today as we 
go, as we leave here, Father, we would go after some of the things we've heard. Maybe one thing that you know you're revealing to us, you're stirring in our spirits. I pray today, God, that we have repented, that we've turned to you if we needed to in our hearts, and that we are making you Lord again of our lives because we want the fullness of what you have for us. I'm not satisfied with just being in this thing. Lord, I want to enter it, allow it to transform me. I want to be a son. I want to live in the fullness of my inheritance as a son and for it to be my reality, not just a good idea and watch other people experience it. I want to see and hear and perceive what's happening around me in the seasons we live in and I want to bring glory to your name by being built by Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Father, to represent the kingdom of God and to represent you well and to bring glory to your name well in this time. It is a privilege to be chosen at this time, at this place in history, to sing your praises in your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, my Father. Amen. Amen.